are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Life Community Church. We're, we're glad that you're here, as always, online, not in person, obviously. Uh, we're going to be in Galatians 5 today, so you can go ahead and get your Bibles out or, or find it digitally and, and join us there later. As we say every week, we are a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ, and we strive to do that by living out four particular values, that we are trying to practice love with everyone always, to give more than what makes sense, to to chase after the likeness of Christ in every corner of our lives, and to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word. That's who we are. That's what we want to be. If you want to know more about us, you certainly can find information online or even text or call us. Hey, just a few things that I want to go over. We are starting a new series, uh, as you may know, called The Fruit of the Spirit. We are going to take the next 11 weeks, including today, to focus on what it means to cultivate Christ-likeness in our lives. And to do that, we're, we're going to give you some at-home study so you can participate. Every middle of the week, um, somewhere in the middle of the week, we're going to post a intro card to our sermon that will have some questions on there that you can read the scriptures that we have connected and answer some of those questions before you come in online, hopefully in person soon. And then after my sermon, we're going to put out reflection questions that you can then, as you've listened and read, begin to have introspection on your life and ask some really challenging questions of yourself. And so keep an eye out for those things on social media and possibly even on our website if you Uh, don't have Facebook, and you're just joining us randomly as an anonymous person with no picture, just just a figure. We'll have that for you on our website. Uh, Lastly, just want to talk about our COVID uh, response team. It's been incredible. Uh, We have over 160 people signed up on this team from many, many different churches inside, inside of this county. We have served almost 40 different claims for assistance and pointed many others to places where they could find assistance. We're getting ready to move that into a different phase, and we're kind of working out all of those details, but I tell you that to, to keep your ears to the ground because there's some new information coming on how you can be a greater part of the response here, uh, both to our economic situation and to, of course, the impacts of COVID-19 itself. As always, we are asking that if you have something going on in your life, we'd love to pray over that. We will take a time here at the end to pray over our people, over the requests that you give us. So feel free to write those in the comment section so we can have those. Well, we have uh, been experiencing some simple pleasures in our household that, that aren't new to us, but probably newly rediscovered in this stay-at-home age. Uh, We tend to do a lot together as a family by doing. 
And when I say that, what I mean is that we like to travel to different places. We like to go to people's houses. We like to eat at different restaurants. We like to visit different parks. And so a lot of our time, our quality time as a family, revolve around these two questions. Where are we going? And what are we doing? But in this stay-at-home age, we found our plans forced to be that we have no plans. And so we have learned the pleasure of a quiet evening. We're relearning those things. We have learned uh, that my children delight in playing little people or people house, as they call it, as much as they delighted in going to Disney World. We have enjoyed finding creative ways to connect with our friends and our families that we once thought to be inconvenient in our past lives. And maybe many of you have proven, despite the accusation of Jerry Seinfeld, that you can indeed wear sweatpants all day and not have given up on life. It'd be interesting. I'd love to know how many of you out there are wearing sweatpants right now. I would say that if you're not, you're probably overachieving at this moment. So I'm not judging you. I'm just stating a fact. Right. So we have found some renewed, simple pleasures. And I say that with great nuance, because I know that there certainly is an effect here. There are many people that have lost their jobs, who the, the pathway and the journey forward is going to be one of struggle. There are people who are susceptible to health risk, elderly that have been locked in their homes seemingly for weeks, that would desire nothing more than to get out and resume our everyday lives. I get that. But there is good to be learned inside of this moment. There was an article I read this week called Normal Again, Thanks to COVID-19. And it, it, its headline makes you think that it's looking backwards to reminisce on a day, the, the good old days, but that's not what the article is communicating. It is communicating that in this moment in history, that maybe that we are learning that being fruitful and effective and full have nothing to do with being busy or having more or doing it bigger. Listen to an, ex, an excerpt from the article written by a guy named Rick Roadhaver. Rick Roadhaver, he, he writes this. He says, I know two couples whose wedding plans have been jeopardized at the results of social distancing. But what a joy to see their mutual growth as they grapple with the reality that a $60 wedding, which is the cost of a marriage license in California, in someone's backyard is just as legitimate and far less stressful than a $30,000 one, which is the average cost of a wedding in America. And then he says, multiply that experience by the hundreds of ways we've communicated life we complicated life because we can, without stopping to ask if we should. Now we don't have the options to ask if we should because of COVID-19. We simply can't. And he ends his article by saying, and maybe that's a grace. Isn't that a profound thought? How much do we complicate life by thinking, well, what could we do over asking ourselves, what should we do? 
In what ways have we focused our days on being busy and doing it bigger that aren't beneficial, maybe even proven to be detrimental? Maybe we are learning this in this time. And might the Lord, even in His gentle grace, be teaching that by impressing that on us of faith? Something more profound than just life, that we of faith, God is teaching us that very thought of simplicity in this moment. We, a people of faith, a faith that is, is our foundation, a faith that's not a function of life, but faith that is a foundation for life. Maybe we are focusing on a little bit more simplicity. Because as the American church, we are certainly guilty of elevating the evidences of what it means to be a Christian in this time to be defined by what we are doing. We celebrate Christians at what they are doing. We think about what do I need to do to look like a Christian? What do I need to do to feel like I'm a Christian? What do I need to do in order that Jesus loves me still? But the foundation and the evidences of Christ in one's life flow not from what we are doing, but rather on whom we are becoming. There is a profound difference to the life of a believer that centers themselves on being rather than simply doing. You see, we live in a time and an age where speed and results matter. Doing matters. We love to strategize to get better results. We love to find measurable elements that we can make strategies for growth. We try to take complex things and oversimplify them to create better application and more production. And certainly those things have a place in the world, in business, in industry. But inside the church, because they have permeated themselves inside of the church, it makes us ask questions that are focused on, what am I doing for Christ? When we should be asking more accountability questions like, what is Christ doing in me? Our lens is wrong. We see Christ through the lens of our lives, our circumstances, and our hearts. But the desire of God in the knowledge of Scripture, says it should be the other way around, that our lives and our circumstances and our hearts should be seen through the lens of Christ. All of our doing, all of our doing should come from the overflow of whom we are becoming. All of our doing should, be, should come from the overflow of whom we are becoming we are guilty of shortchanging that process for instant gratification that comes with doing and making a checklist to look successful, to look righteous. Tragically, we are guilty of flipping the equation around amongst God's people to say, whom you're becoming is a product of what you are doing. And that creates all sorts of dysfunction and sin and legalism and guilt. And so today we focus on the fruit of the Spirit. These are the evidences of what it, it means to be a Christian. These are what are produced in the life of somebody who, by hearing the word, comes to faith, 
grace through faith has set us free in Christ, adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. These fruits are what Christians should be growing in, not in our strategies, but by simply obeying the most universal call that God has for His people, that we would become like Christ. That we would be like Christ. Paul says he was crucified with Christ. It is no longer he that lives, but Christ that lives in him. And so for the next 10 weeks or so, we're going to jump in the book of Galatians, specifically in chapter 5, to remind ourselves of what really matters. We're going to take a posture of the fruit of the Spirit each week. So next week we will focus on love. And so let's read Galatians 5 together. And what is interesting here is that we see the same tension and battle in this church in this day that we see even today. Doing versus being even present in the early church. So let's go to Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. The Apostle Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Or against the... For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evidence, evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have, been crucif- have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so what Paul is writing to in this church is a battle that we face. Paul writes this letter to the church in Galatia, which would be in modern-day Turkey. It's a church that he founded through Christ in him, and many have come to faith in Christ because of him. And so he writes this letter to the Christians that are in the area of Galatians, Christ-centered believers who were previously Gentiles. Now, the word Gentile simply means those who weren't born of Jewish descent. So it's Jews and then everybody else. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And so Paul writes this to a group of believers who once believed in Greek gods. They believed in Aphrodite. They believed in Zeus. They are now converted and they believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the efforts of Christ in Paul. And this letter was written because there was a group of Jewish believers in Christ that hung to their heritage, which is great, but they were coming into this area proclaiming that, yes, it was Jesus, but you Gentiles must also convert to Judaism. You must follow the Mosaic law, that Christ is good, but you also must become a Jew and follow the law. And so Paul writes 
to inform the church in this day that that's not the case. He's absolutely fine with those who have Jewish descent practicing their traditions, saying yes to Jesus and yes to their traditions, but in no way was that required of anyone else. Christ alone, by faith alone, is the gospel that Jesus Christ declared. Grace through faith and not through works. But these Jewish Christians in the area of Galatia, we call them Judaizers, couldn't understand belief and faith in a God without obeying the Old Testament law. That it was yes to Jesus, but also yes to the law, following and obeying the law by effort. They could not fathom a reality where God's people weren't known for how they looked and what they did, but merely on whom they loved, Christ. And that tension is still present today in the church. It's a tension between two words, legalism and license. Legalism and license. Legalism is an ex- in its extreme says, hey, you have to follow all of the rules. Legalism is an excessive adherence to a formula or a law. License on the other end is saying, I'm going to reject any law or rule. I don't need to follow anything. I have freedom. Don't tell me what to do. And so you've got a tension in the church of Galatia with these Judaizers coming in and saying, hey, you need to keep the law. And then you've got Gentile believers who are saying, what the heck law are you talking about? Paul talked to me about Jesus. He talked to me about sin. He talked to me about repentance and new life in Jesus to follow him, to turn. He didn't mention law. And so on one side, you've got people saying, you've got to do more. And the other side is saying, I don't want to do, quit telling me to do more. And so there's this battle and Paul steps in and says, quiet down, knuckleheads. This great mentor figure. He says, how about this? Let's walk by the Spirit. But I say walk by the Spirit. Now, is Paul against the law? No. Is the law bad? No. It is good. It's perfect. It's holy. Is the problem with how people applied and commanded the law? Yes. Did Jesus fulfill the law? Praise God he did. Do I have to keep the law to be righteous? I don't. Salvation has nothing to do with my effort to keep the law, but everything to do with delighting, loving, and sacrifice in the one who fulfilled it for me. Jesus did for me what I could not. Now, that doesn't mean that I can just keep doing what I want to do. Jesus' sacrifice didn't give us the right to keep sinning and pleasing myself costly death of Christ, God's own son, did not deliver to me freedom as a reward. Christ is the reward. Freedom is an outpouring from a heart that loves and delights in God, his son, and the spirit. Paul knows there's a danger in either extreme of the spectrum of legalism and license. Better to focus on Christ by walking in the Spirit than thinking, am I doing enough? And so when we come to faith, we come to faith by hearing the Word, trusting in Jesus, what He has done for me, 
what it means for me, understanding who I am and how much I need it, faith that he's my king, faith that he's my saviors. The word says that God sends the son, the spirit of his son into our hearts. In Galatians 4, 6, Paul writes, and because you are sons, sons is is translated from a word that also indicates descendants and children. So it's not just men. It's talking about sons, daughters, children, descendants of God. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And so there is a spirit that is set in us to battle the flesh. And the flesh is that old sinful nature, that disease that wants to make everything in my life about me, about my selfishness. It chooses me over God. That's sin. And so the spirit wars against the flesh, and the flesh flares up to keep us living how we truly want to live fully for God. So here's what Paul is saying. Here's what Paul is showing us. Paul is talking about tension that is a part of a process of becoming and not describing a checklist for doing. He's describing a process, the tension of becoming, not a checklist for doing. When we walk by the Spirit, it implies deliberateness. It implies faithfulness. This isn't a sprint. We are walking by the Spirit. And what the Spirit is trying to do is to conform us into a more perfect image of His Son. He's trying to transform us to look like Jesus. Paul, in the book of 2 Corinthians, in chapter 3, says, And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul writes then in Romans that we are being conformed into the image of his Son. Why is he doing that? Well, he's doing that because it's for our joy and for God's glory that we are conformed to the likeness of Christ. For those of faith, if our desire, uh, our, our desire for God should be in a manner that we would look like Him, that we would walk like Him, that we would live like Him. For our joy, our hearts cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, that you might see the flourishing that comes with living in a relationship with God that delights and trust in Him and not in myself. That is for our joy. There's a song written by United Pursuit called Take a Moment. And in one lyric it says, Take a moment to remember who God is and who I am. There you go, lifted my load again. We are a people that must remember who our God is. His sovereign grace, steadfast love for His children. Remember our flesh and our own choosing. 
We understand our position and glory in who God is. That is for our joy, but it's also for the glory of God to make us into the image of His Son. We might become little Christ. To be a Christian means that you are a little Christ. God is conforming you into His image, into His Son. Not that others may look at you and say, man, they seem to go to church a lot. Or she, man, she really prays. Or that guy, he really, he, man, he likes to quote the Bible. Now God conforms us to an image of his son that the world may look at us and say, is that Jesus? Did Jesus just come in the room? Not because we put on a Halloween costume, but literally because we have the heart in the mind of Christ. God's desire is not that we might do merely the things of Christ, but rather that we might be Christ, that the world around us might encounter for themselves the living God in us. And so what that means is that to grow as a Christian, to look like Jesus, doesn't come through dying or doing, but rather through the means of dying to the Spirit in us. The Spirit is hidden in us, those of faith, the fullness of God, not to stay hidden, but to transform us from the inside out to war against the works and the passion of the flesh. It bubbles up to change our desires, and we are to die to self. We are to be led by the Spirit. It's a process that kills the old sinful nature and reminds us of whom we truly are, sons and daughters of the Most High God, and how we were supposed to live. And Paul writes in Galatians 5 that the evidences or the, the showing of the work of the flesh is evident. I don't need to make a list. You can't see the disease of selfishness and sin, but you certainly can see the outworkings of it. Sexual immorality, rivalries. We shouldn't take this list to be exhaustive. Paul is quoting quite a few examples, and he warns us, like, if you're going to continue to live by these things, like, there's a judgment. Like, you're not being led by the Spirit. That's not what the Spirit produces. What does the Spirit produce? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit. You know, wouldn't it have been a lot easier for Paul just to give us a, a list to say, hey, you know, go to church, don't cuss, be careful with poor. Call your mother. We would have loved that. I could do that list. I could check off those boxes. But that's precisely the point. God's kingdom has never been about your checklist. It's always been focused on your character. Christopher Wright writes a book called Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit. Really a great complimentary read. Complimentary read to the series, and in that book he writes this, speaking specifically about Galatians 5. What Paul is talking about here is Christian character. Character is sadly greatly undervalued today in so much church life and activity. We'd rather work out the best techniques, formulate successful strategies, and celebrate performance we look on the outside and assess people by how they are doing and pay much less attention to what kind of character they 
have become or are becoming. But look at the qualities in Paul's list of the fruit of the Spirit. They do not focus on what kind of performance we can achieve, but what kind of person we are. Whom you are becoming over what you are doing. Because God isn't after your blind obedience as much as he's after your heart. Our obedience is a byproduct of a heart that grows in its affection for God. And so when we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, we're not talking about things that we can check off. We're talking about things that take time, years and years to grow into. Things that we have to cultivate at the root level. How am I doing with self-control? I can tell you this, I'm not nailing it. What about peace in this moment? These are postures in which we will never fully arrive. I have joy, but I can always have more joy. I love people, but I certainly can love people more. It's a process that's led by the Spirit to be like Christ, who is perfect in all. So here is what we must come to see about the fruit and why it's so important that we walk by the Spirit to cultivate Christ-likeness in our life. Fruit isn't achieved by working. It's birthed from abiding, from spending time with our Savior. It's not a checklist. It's spending time with Jesus. Fruit is fragile. We must guard it. Fruit reproduces itself. Fruit produces seeds that grow in new soil. Fruit is attractive. Can't buy an orange tree and not want to have an orange. And fruit nourishes. It nourishes. The Christian life must be focused on fruit that is being led and developed by the Spirit. And it doesn't come overnight. And so here's the question that so many of us rise and ask. How do I do this? Isn't that great that that we can talk about being led by the fruits of the Spirit? And our first inclination in this conversation of what we are becoming is to ask, well, tell me what to do. I think that there are a few things here to remember. Uh, Number one is this. The type of process that we're talking about in the life entails that what is primary is that the Holy Spirit lives in us. I know that might be simple, but we could never come to that on our own. He must live in us, and that happens through faith. Faith happens through hearing the word and believing that Jesus Christ died for my sins, and on the third day, he was raised again and stands victorious and new life, and he has given me access to that new life by grace through faith. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Unmerited grace, a gift. The second is that we cultivate it. We are led by the Spirit, but it doesn't mean that we don't have work to do. We have to dig up the soil around the roots to make sure that they are getting life-giving water, to make sure that the fruit is growing and thriving. That tree is symbolic for our life, that we give our roots good soil. We spend time with God, reading His Word, and knowing that the Spirit and the Word will never contradict each other. In fact, they enhance one another. 
that we sometimes heed the wisdom of God, even though we don't always in the moment feel like it because we know his design for us. And thirdly, that we are open and sensitive to the nudgings of the Spirit. You know, the Spirit isn't always loud. Sometimes he just nudges and whispers, but we have to be sensitive to that. I think of how it works out in my life. I can tell you specifically, like this past week, uh, we are at home, and obviously, and Nikki made dinner. We're having uh, lots of more quality time around the dinner table, making more home-cooked meals. And after we put the girls to bed, I looked on the mound of dishes and pans that were made, the mess that was made from the meal, and I grew frustrated. And instead of just serving my family and cleaning that up, I opened my mouth. And I said to my wife, I said, you know, we've been cooking a lot more, and it seems like you're making bigger messes every time. Game on. As soon as I said it, nudge, lay it down, lay it down. But no, I pressed on. My pride swelled up, and here's what happened. I had more desire to be right than I had to be Christ. And I tried to defend myself at the cost of my wife's generosity and trust. But that voice remained. That spirit remained. Lay it down. That's your pride, dude. Not in those words, but it's there. And so after a great tussle, some time alone, I laid it down. I died to my flesh, my, my passion for selfishness. I repented to my wife and to God. I had not loved her well. I had not loved God well. I had spoken to her in jest. I was foolish. Christian, we know that voice. The voice that is inside of us that is calling it, us to lay it down, to die. And that comes from the overflow of whom we're becoming and what we're becoming is created by what we're dying to. We are dying towards God's spirit. There is so much misery that takes place in my life and our lives because we are far too focused on being right than we are at being Christ. And lastly... We have to pattern our lives from the influence of the Holy Spirit. You know, I believe that godly introspection most often leads to Christ-like transformation. We have to slow down to walk and ask ourselves that question. Is this about me being right? Or is this about me being Christ? To give us the grace that was afforded to us in the sacrifice and the death the resurrection of Christ, to look at ourselves and say, why am I doing this? In the light of all I know who Jesus to be, why am I so angry about this? In light of all that Jesus is, why do I feel like I need to defend myself to take those thoughts captive, as the word says, and make them submit to the word in the spirit. 
to remember that my identity is well secured in Christ. Adopted. Son and daughter of the Most High God. Well loved, secured in His promise. All I need is to be His. I don't need to be right. He must live in us. We must work to cultivate good soil by spending time with Jesus, being with Jesus. We have to be open and sensitive to his promptings. Do I want to be right or do I want to be Christ? And we must pattern our lives from the influence of the Holy Spirit. Daily surrender, daily introspection, daily walking, daily dying. Let's end by remembering the words of the song that we just sing, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me, a line that says, With every breath I long to follow Jesus, for He has said that He will bring me home. And day by day I know He will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. Here's a challenge for us. Could we take a moment to be honest with ourselves, to have that God-centric introspection And consider these questions. Number one, am I actively depending on the Spirit to guide my life so I don't get wrapped up into myself? Am I actively depending on the Spirit to guide my life so I don't get wrapped up in myself? We'll post these questions after today's service. Number two, does my daily daily dialogue face-to-face and online, reflect a life that is growing in the Spirit? And the third, Jesus was a servant. The Spirit's aim is to make us like Jesus. If I am coming a servant, where must I cultivate this mindset? These are three important challenges for us to consider today. So let's head into a time of prayer. I know that many of you sent in prayer requests today, but we'll spend some time in prayer and then we'll close in one last song. So let's go to the the Father here and I'll pray over these things. And, And certainly if you're out there, I just ask you to maybe write these things down and be praying for our people this week. But let's just go to the Lord here. First, Father, we just uh, we are asking that you would help us to just uh, lose the baggage of a culture that's so focused on doing, a culture that's so focused on results, that, Lord, that you would help us to humbly repent of, of making the Christian life about doing, and, Lord, by your spirit, by your grace, by your gentle nudge, that you would focus on our hearts on what we're becoming, that we would listen to you, that we would sense your nudgings, Lord, that we would aim to be Christ. And so, God, God, we just humbly ask for your strength and your conviction to guide us in that process. Gently lead us from our own selfish nature into the fullness of life that you have promised to us. Father, today we're praying this, Miriam asks that we pray that for all the grocery stores and the restaurant workers who are still working in this situation, Lord, that you could wrap your arms around them and protect them as they risk getting exposed and they don't even know it. 
Bailey's asked that we pray for all the high school and college students who are struggling with social distancing and changes in their life, and even for those seniors who have been robbed of a season in their life that they once heralded as something to celebrate. Stacey Duncan is asking that we pray over the prayer gathering today at Southern Wells parking lot at 2. Lord, will you just make that a rich time where people are humbled and awed by who you are? Dave Smith is asking a prayer for Dave and Tammy Holvey. Dave has been diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer. And so Lord, we pray that, the, that your will would be done and, and that his time and his way, your way, God, would be abundant in the midst of this fight. God, Josh asked that we, as Christians around the world, would think of how we could daily glorify your beautiful name. Lord, we live in a culture that uses the tactics of guilt and shame, and we are even scared sometimes to worship you and praise you. And so, Lord, deliver us from that fear. And so, God, help us today to focus on a life that is no longer mine, but a life that has been crucified by you, that I not live by the means of self, but you live in me. And we pray this humbly in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.